So Adam, I appreciate you doing this interview. I've always been kind of a decent sales rep, and I think there's a lot of guys that will relate to this. I could do, you know, consistently one a day. Sometimes I'd get twos and threes. My best day ever was five. But never was I able to do the two or three consistently a day like guys like you do. And so I always thought there had to have been something they were doing, something they were – were they cheating? I, I didn't know. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, for the sake of argument, let's say that they were cheating. What, there's only so many ways to cheat. So yeah. I finally made the realization there must be something they're doing that's not cheating that, that, that I could learn, that, that we all could learn. There had to be something that I could learn or that we could learn as sales reps from guys like you. And for those of you, you, you all should know who Adam Webb is by now if you're uh, listening to this. But Adam has not only managed teams that do thousands of accounts every summer, but he personally, while doing that, has averaged over 274 accounts every summer for the last 10 years. So Adam, so I, I wanted to get inside your brain and really understand how you work day to day, how you run a summer team, all that kind of stuff. Is yeah, let's right? do it. hundred percent. Okay. So let's get into a little bit of your story real quick before we get into the sales side of it. Why did you get into sales? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So when I moved to Utah at the age of like 21, I was a solid 10 years behind in life. Growing up, you know, my parents divorced young and I lived a very unsupervised childhood, which meant I kind of just did whatever I wanted for 10 years. I technically didn't even graduate high school. So when I moved up here, I I was just so far behind in life, but I had these goals. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to have a crappy life. I wanted to accomplish great things. I wanted to be financially independent. I wanted all those things. I just didn't know how to get there. But I kept meeting people who had gone out and done sales. People like me, the same age, sometimes even from a similar background that went out and it was kind of their kickstart to life. And it just became very apparent to me at that point that if I could learn to sell and master sales, I'd not only be able to catch up in life, but get ahead. And so I, I just got this idea in my head. I just got to go sell. And, and that's how it started. So for me, I got into it just as much for the experience as for the money. So you went out and sold for the summer. Now, there's a lot of people that, that might listen to this who are considering going and doing sales, but they're hesitant for some reason. Uh, I was the same way. I graduated college before I actually finally did this. And... uh what would you say to somebody who maybe has been approached by a few people about selling and for whatever reason they haven't committed? I, go try it, 100%. Especially if you're young or single or don't have kids, just go take a risk. Even if you think it's something that you might not be the best at or it might just be a one-time thing, go try it because the last thing you want to do is be looking back and always wondering, Man, should I have should I have tried that door to door thing? Should I have just given it a thought? What if it had worked out? So if just go try it. You you have nothing to lose. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so what is a we'll talk about what you do in the off season later, but for those of you that don't know, Adam does the summer sales model, which means he recruits, trains, mentors guys most of the year. And then goes out and goes hard for four to five, sometimes six months. And doing that model, he personally has averaged 275 accounts. Yeah, for, last 10, 10 years. Okay. And um, last summer, his own team of multiple offices did around 5,000. Yeah. Okay. And they're on track to do at least that this year. So let's talk about the sales size. What, what is a, what's, what's your routine to, to do 200 to 300 accounts? Your best year was 340, right? Yeah. 340 accounts. Okay. So to do anywhere between 200 and 340 accounts, what, what's, what's your day look like? So a lot of people talk about balance, you know, waking up early, getting a workout in, uh, just balancing everything. I'll, I'll be totally honest, Kurt, for me during the summers, my life is just completely unbalanced. It is just a hundred percent sales from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to bed. A lot of times I even have sales dreams. I'll dream about closing people. And for me, that's just how I've had to do it. 
So during the day, I'm just going hard. Then at night, I'm studying. In the morning, I'm studying. As a manager now, my time is completely filled with you know preparing correlations and things like that. But in order to maximize my sales potential, it took literally everything that I had. So talk to the guy for a minute that, that went out last year or has gone out before and done okay, but not enough that they're all in yet, but they're going back out. What, what should, let's say a guy did 50, 75 accounts. If we're talking, if we're talking alarms, pest control, that's probably what, like a hundred to 200 accounts, somewhere in that range. Uh, solar, you're probably like a 30 to 40 account guy. If you're in that mm-hmm. earning income level, mm-hmm. I'm just, just an, an okay guy, a guy that did enough that he can pay his bills, but not enough that he's, he's satisfied. Um, he's trying to get to the next level. He's trying to be a 200 account rep in alarms. In alarms, the goal is always 200 accounts. I don't yeah. know what that is in pest control. Uh, I think it's 300. I think 300 is kind of that ideal level. 300 plus, you're you're a heavy hitter. In uh, in solar, you're a heavy hitter if you can do 100 in a year. Um, and so, so talk to the guys that haven't hit the heavy hitter or top performers, what you call it in your book. What should their day look like? let's assume they're not managing. They're just trying to put in 200 accounts or hit that, that top performer status. What should their routine be in a summer? So I I have a model that I go through whenever I encounter reps who aren't selling as much as they want. And there's really only three reasons that someone is not selling as much as they want to. It's either a training. they're, They're working really hard. They're just not effective at the job. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. B, work. They know how to do the job. They're just not doing it. And the last one is kind of tied to work. It's motivation. They're just, they're not excited to go do the job. And so if, if anyone listening to this is not hitting the levels that they want, run yourself through that model. Or have you mastered sales? Are you a master sales rep? If not, then start attacking that. Because if you can become better at your craft and more effective at prospecting, qualifying, presenting, overcoming objections, you will get more sales. And the second thing to look at simultaneously is your work ethic. I talk about in the six-figure summer how to actually know if you're hustling hard enough to accomplish your goals. And one of those key metrics is are you turning yesterday's limits into into today's standards? Are you taking what used to be an extreme for you, the furthest you could go, and turning it into something that's easy for you? And that's going to include the amount of hours you work on the door, how, how attentive and focused you are on the door. Because we all know we've all been in that situation where we're going through the motions, but mentally we're checked out. We're somewhere else. It takes hard mental energy to keep yourself in it 100%. And that also includes what you do before and after being on the doors. Are you taking time at the end of the day to assess how the day went and turn what could be a loss into a learning opportunity? Are you studying in the morning? Are you pushing yourself? And then the last thing is motivation. You need to assess your why. Why are you doing it? If it's just money, I've had days, every experienced sales rep have had, has had days where we've made thousands of dollars, more money than we've ever made in our life. And we're like, well, that's not even worth it. I don't care. The money's not worth it. You have to find a deeper why. So those are the three things, training, work, motivation, just cycle through and attack all of those. And you'll find yourself on a upward trajectory towards hitting whatever goal you want. So let's say it's, let's say it's training. Let's say I need, I need a better understanding of sales principles. I need to be a better sales rep. How much time would you recommend I dedicate and how do I fit that into a summer model to studying the craft? Cause you still need time on the doors. Yeah. Yeah. It, as much as you can. So at first, you're going to have a long day of knocking, and the last thing you want to do is come home and read a sales training book. But you're going to force yourself to do it, and you might only make it 15 minutes through before your brain's just fried, and you're like, i got to play some Fortnite or watch TV or go to bed or something because I'm toast. But if you keep doing that, your 15 minutes at the end of the day is going to become easy, and you could push it to an hour. And then you can start reading sales material in the morning. 
And then on your drive out to area, you can replace music with audiobooks. And you just start refining your time and pushing yourself and pushing yourself until you get to a point where now, during the summer, I'm literally from 7.30, 8am until 2am. It's just pure, nasty, gnarly grind all day long, all summer long, and it doesn't phase me. I love it. I'm passionate about it now. What What's the minimum time on doors you'd recommend guys have? So if I'm trying to balance learning the craft with putting enough time indoors because it's a numbers game no matter how good you get, what's the minimum time on doors you expect your team to to do? Well, different industries have different models depending on the product and also depending if it's a summer or a year-round model. But in summer for alarms and smart homes, it's an 11 a.m. meeting, quick lunch, heading straight out to area, no going back to apartments, and then knocking till dark 30. So once it's pitch black dark, you need to be knocking for at least another 30 minutes. I'm a, a firm believer that there's sales you can get every single day, early in the day, for sure during prime time, and then there's always another one you can squeeze out after dark when everybody else has thrown in the towel. So dark 30, that's good. That's good. Yeah, dark 30. Because it gets dark different times. Yeah. As the summer goes on. That's awesome. So if I'm if I'm trying to have my six-figure summer, and six-figure summer, guys, Adam talks about this in his book and, and in the training that this is a part of. It's it's a metaphor of being a top performer. Yeah. But it's also literal for, for Adam and a lot of his guys. They literally sell enough accounts in one summer to make well over, in Adam's case, well over six figures in four or five months. And so let's say I'm pushing for that. I believe to do the six figure in pest control, it's somewhere around 300 accounts usually. Uh, I know that's kind of like their, that's their 200 account. They, they say hit 300 accounts. So what, I forgot where I was going with this. We're going to have to edit that part. Um, so if I'm aiming for that six figure summer, if I'm aiming to be a top performer in my industry, I need to be putting in a lot of hours on the doors and still finding time to train. So your recommendation is if you're serious about being a six-figure earner, you're doing study time outside of the 11 o'clock till dark 30. That's standard? 100%. I I had a rookie one year. It was my first year managing, and I knocked with him at the end of the summer. He's like, hey, would you mind shadowing me? And I went and shadowed him, and this was in August. And I felt so bad because he was absolutely terrible. He was the worst. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe he went through the whole summer this way. Basically just trying to figure out on his own. Everything he learned, he pretty much learned just from trial and error. And you could literally spend your entire life figuring out how to be effective at this job on your own. Or you could just go assimilate that knowledge from someone else that spent their entire life that's sharing it in a book. So 100%, you have to be spending time educating yourself outside of just the personal experience you get on the doors and outside of the training that you get in the correlation meeting. You get out exactly what you put in. Well, and that's ultimately why I reached out to you to, to make this training product. And this interview is just part of a huge amount of resources that you and I have put together for guys because I finally realized, I said, you know what, my best summer in alarm, so selling basically the same product as you, my best summer was just under 150 and I finally realized it can't be cheating. It's got to be something they're doing different. So I reached out and you said, what are you doing? And can we teach other people to do it? And you were nice enough to say, yeah, let's teach as many people as we can. Yeah. So that's why we did this, guys. That's why we put this together. So I hope you're taking advantage of this. Um, so the six-figure earners, and add anything to this that I'm missing. This is what I'm hearing so far. The six-figure earners, they do the minimum required office amount, which is go to your correlation, then work hard, Right. But they're also putting in time to perfect the craft. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. And and what does what does that look like for you and your teams? Are you reading books? Tell me some of the things you guys do outside of the normal day to get to master sales. Uh, it blows my mind how few sales reps read the training manuals that their companies provide. It's like selling is fun when you're good at it. Working more hours is fun when you know that those extra hours worked are going to translate to more sales and more money. 
But if you stink at sales, it's really hard to work hard because those extra hours you're putting in don't translate to more sales and more money. So absolutely, you should be read one, read all the, the standard training material that your company provides. My training manual was so marked up my first year, every day driving out to area, I had that thing going through it over and over and over again until I had mastered and assimilated everything that was in there. And then I just moved on to the next book and the next one, listening to audiobooks, picking brains, talking to the top sales reps in the office, role playing with them, just basically doing everything I could to make myself the most effective at what I was doing. All right. So those are some great tips on role play. And if you guys get it, the 100 people, 100 K 100 days mentoring that Adam did, it's basically a mentoring program around the six figure summer model, as well as some actual sales principles training and a challenge in there to get people off the ground. If you dive into that, there'll be a segment in there about some role playing tips, how to keep it fun, how to how to keep people excited about doing the role playing um, late in the summer. And so you'll want to check out that video that Adam put together. Uh, let's talk though for a minute about area management. That's a huge headache when you have big teams and things like that. What, and it's, <clears throat> it's also kind of a taboo area cause you don't want, you don't want new reps to think that area matters, but experienced reps also know that to some extent it does matter. What do you, what's, what's your type of an area? What do you look for when you choose area? Well, I think, I think it depends on the team. Do you want to know specifically what I do or how I manage area for a team? Let's talk about you for a minute and let's get into the team. Okay. So I'm kind of unique. So I started in 2007 and everybody that goes and sells needs to learn how to sell everything. In alarms, for example, you have fresh doors. You also have switchovers. You have to be able to sell it all. But as time goes on, you're going to develop a preference for what you like to sell. So for me, I love selling to people that already have an alarm. So maybe towards the end of my first year, that's what I started looking for and targeting people that already believed in security and had a system. And then I would just switch them over to my company. So when I'm personally managing an area, I like to be in an area for as long as possible. And I'm talking the entire summer if I can. So I try and manage area for myself so that I'm never more than a five to 10 minute drive away from anybody I've talked to the entire summer. So for me personally, 10 years into it, what I love to do is just go find like a whole city and just be there the whole summer and just work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, go down the same streets over and over and over again at different times after I've sold this person, go talk to that person that already told me no, but now it's a different door because I sold the neighbor across the street. That's my big thing on prospecting is just in area management is don't leave your area. Stay there as long as you possibly can. Can you give us more details about that? How do you, how do you work an area in a way that it can last you a whole summer? Is it a big area? Well, uh, the other thing that comes into play is how effective you are at selling. Because if you're not selling very many, you're burning through area. But if you're selling multiple accounts per day, the majority of your day is spent inside of homes. So for me, I, every day I go out on a weekday, it's three sales. On a weekend, it's four. That's what I have in my mind. That's what I'm shooting for. So if you're selling that type of volume, then you, area lasts a really long time. And you, you give a, a good example in your book, Six Figure Summer. Not an example. You give an actual way people can reset their emotional response system. And can, you refer, can you tell us where to go find that? Because I think yes. you guys should go look at that after listening to this. Self-awareness is one of the killers in door-to-door and in sales. You'll be out, and you're not even aware that you're, you're checked out. You're knocking doors. You're going through the motions. But emotionally, you're not in it, and you can't sell effectively unless you're 100% in. And so what you have to do is bake in these emotional responses that are intentionally connected to what you actually did in terms of sales. So if your goal is to sell 200 accounts in 100 days, you have to sell two per day. Now, most reps, they come home after any given day, and maybe they sold one. And maybe they're bummed out about it, but a lot of times they're not. They're completely emotionally complacent with selling one, even though that's completely out of harmony with your goal. So you have to pick 
what emotional response you will have depending on how many you sell. Are, are you going to be bummed at one? Are you going to be bummed at two? You're going to be stoked at three? Whatever it is, you have to force yourself to experience those emotions because at the end of the day, we're all emotional creatures. That's what governs our behavior as human beings. And if we don't control our emotions, they'll control us and we'll find ourselves at the end of the summer or the end of the quarter or the end of the year far below our goals wondering what happened. So what chapter in the book is that if guys want to go? Guys, you should go back and reread this chapter because this is gold, what he just told you. And if you reread the chapter, you'll understand it better. Which chapter is it? It's under consistency, the second principle. Okay. So the second principle of the six-figure summer consistently, go learn how to reset and change your emotional response system. (laughs) When I read the book, well, when I first read it, it was your teeny little Yeah, the old school one. Yep, the one from Pinnacle. Yeah. But when I first read the version that that you're now giving away, um, that was one of the biggest eye-openers for me was that resetting how you react to certain I'll, I'll see reps come home that sold zero accounts and they're emotionally fine and it's like you have a goal and you your behavior and your production was out of harmony with that goal like you can't be okay with that emotionally or else you just kind of sink into this complacency and this sales death and you never hit your goals you'll never hit them you have to be emotionally in the right place. Okay, so you're my manager. I, I actually got asked this question um, on Facebook the other day from a guy that's going to be at your summit in a couple weeks. And he said, at, one, at what point did you uh, get good enough that you were confident you knew if you went and put in X amount of hours, you'd have a sell? Um, and the only reason I share that question is because it, it is related to the question I'm going to ask you. What You're my manager. I come home and I'm not okay with zeroing. What would you counsel me to do? What would you, how would you manage me or mentor me to do better? Yeah. So a lot of people go out on the doors and they're not competing to win. They're competing not to lose. So they're going out thinking, man, I hope I get a sale today. If it's the alarm industry or if it's pest, I, I hope I get more than one today. And the only question you should have in your mind is, How many am I going to get today? Is it going to be two or is it going to be three? Not selling or, you know, selling so low that it's not worth it, whatever that might mean in your industry, should not even be an option in your mind. So if you're coming home and you've you've bageled, you've blanked, you haven't gotten a sale, it's very possible that your emotions aren't correctly correlated to that production and you have to manually reset them. So for me, that that involves... getting in front of a mirror, looking myself in the eyes, and then just verbally programming myself. Man, zero today? Seriously, man, that's that's not going to get me anywhere near my goals. I can do better than that. I have to do better than that. I'm going to go out early tomorrow. I'm going to kill it. Ah, a zero? Oh, that stings. I can't. I got it. I'm going to hit my goals. You know, just get yourself in the emotional state that's going to, force you to go hit your goals. So so there's a mental aspect to it, but there's probably also a skill aspect with certain people. Mm-hmm. So if you if if you're as you're managing people and you see them coming home with zeros consistently, are you fir- you're first looking at how they're responding to that from what I'm hearing. And then once if you're if they're responding how they should, which is upset, pissed off, whatever, bummed that they got zero, then what direction do you point them? Or does it depend on... Well, it's, it's those three factors, training, work, motivation. Work is usually the easiest to assess. What time do you knock your first door? What time do you knock your last door? Are you taking breaks? Are you putting in the hours? Are you there mentally or are you checked out? If it's... Once I identify that they're working the hours, then it's... I, I go to motivation. You know, are, are you invested when you're on the doors? Or are you just going through the motions? Because you can go work hard at this job or anything and be very ineffective but if they're working and they're in it they're motivated they want it i can tell they want to succeed and they're putting in the hours then it's training and immediately i go to a role play role plays are just the most effective way to assess where a rep is at and i also have my guys record themselves on the doors and send it to me i listen to it i take notes i go through it with them i want to hear what reps are actually doing so again, it's it, if they're working and they're motivated, it's going to come down to training. 
The re- the reason I wanted to start with with Six Figure Summer is the first product or the first training product of this door to door pro platform is because I think that's the foundation. Like there's any reputable company is going to have good sales training. Any decent sized company should have good sales training or else you're, you should be with a different company <laughs> because they've got that of the sell specific, say this, do that and things like that. And, and we're including some of that in this, this platform that Adam's uh, sharing with you guys. But I think the biggest takeaway and the most important thing of all of this, because you can get good sales training from your company. You can get good sales training from Grant Cardone. You can get good sales training in other places. But the biggest takeaway is what he's talking about here is, is resetting mentally, finding a way to do that, and then crafting your um, your training to where they're at or what they need. And, and tell me the three again. It's training. Training, work, motivation. That's genius. That's genius. Now that, that kind of transition is to to mentoring and managing. So as a leader, when you're out there working with these guys, you have to constantly be assessing where they're missing. It's one of those three or all of those three things in, in some cases. So walk me through kind of how you manage your team. What what's a what's April May look like for Adam Webb's teams? Yeah, so that's heavy training for sure. We got a lot of rookies out they all need to figure out how to do the job and they all need to see sales fast. For me, there's no there's no more important metric than a rookie that has seen a sale and a rookie that has gotten a sale. So really, I'm doing whatever it takes to make sure they close deals. If I'm in a house personally and I'm getting blown up by a, a rookie that's like, I, this one's so close, they'll get it, I just need help. I'm literally leaving that sale right in the middle to go help them close a the deal. You have to get reps with sales and their name and they need to go see sales from a to z from you going out knocking doors to closing someone they need to see that process what's your feeling on doing sales for them well what we tell rookies is you need to be able to fumble your way through a door approach and get into the house and from there we train them how to call a recruiter or a trainer or their manager to come and help them at that point and i'll i'll basically put sales and rookies names all day long as as long as they prospected the customer i've had plenty where i basically did 90 percent of the work but they got the foot in the door they got the foot in the door that is their sale there's just something so empowering about a rookie having a sale in their name it's it's very common in our industry to be like well you know me as the recruiter the manager i really did the majority of the work why don't we put this in my name and i'll just pay you you know i'll still pay you and it'll be good i just put that sale in that rep's name when they go on their the company website and they see that number, it's empowering for them. So if so, if they go do the work, they do a door approach, they get in the door. Even if you come close it, that's their sell. Hundred percent every time. Okay. What if it's the other way around? What if what if you're they're just watching you? Then they're watching me make money. Okay. And you were talking to me about earlier before we uh, before we started recording. You were telling me about your your philosophy in May. Can you? Go back into that. Yeah, so catchy name for it. Two a day, all through May. So there's two reps shadowing me all day, every day for the entire month of May, and usually the end of April and beginning of June. So, and I'm I'm selling a couple days. So, you know, four four sales essentially are getting witnessed every day. Cool. And then you, so they come watch you. Then you mentioned something that I thought was awesome. Most managers don't do this when you shadow them talk about that yeah so it's really important for managers and recruiters and trainers to be getting their own sales it's important for the leaders in the office to be putting up numbers so you need to have your time knocking but it's so effective to watch other people knock and so what i would say is just do that first thing in the day i'll drive around with a rep and find a house where someone's obviously home and just say knock that door and I'm just, I'm a shadow for them at that point. I got my notes app open. My fingers are flying. I'm writing down everything that they can improve on. Sometimes if the situation warrants it, I'll take pictures of them, you know, if they're not marrying the customer well or something. And then as soon as we go back to the car, I'm just going through it with them. What do you think you did well? What do you think you could improve on? Here's what I noticed. Did you catch when you said this? Look at this. And just going through it with them. And I say, okay, on the next door, do this different. 
and then I, I watch them again. It's so effective. Do you take the time to do it right then and there as opposed to just going to the next door and talking about it later? No, I want to assess immediately after while it's still fresh in their mind. I don't want to say, hey, remember an hour ago with that one person you talked to? Like, let's talk about it right after it happens. So when you're training, <clears throat> it's worth hitting pause because sometimes I, sometimes I get like this. I'm like, no, I, it's a grind. I got to get the doors in. But it's worth the time when you're training to hit pause and assess. Yeah, 100%. There's no point in grinding your guts out if you're doing the job wrong. That's just going to be demoralizing for a rookie. What kind of things are you looking for when you're taking notes? What are you watching for? Well, the first thing is just the pitch. Are they able to articulate and explain what's going on? The other thing I notice a lot with rookies is they don't know where they're at in the sales cycle. You prospect, you qualify, you present, you overcome objections, and you close. So a lot of rookies will get into a house, they start going for the close before the presentation's even done. Say that sales cycle again, because it's the same in all industries, and I think a lot of guys miss it. Go ahead. Prospecting, qualifying, presenting, overcoming objections, and closing. You follow that process. It's a recipe. And the more effective you are at any one step of that process, the easier the next step will be. It's really easy to overcome objections when you gave an awesome presentation and they want it really bad. It's really tough to overcome objections for someone that doesn't really want it. Let's go back to working your area because you got me curious. So, so you're able to make an area last pretty much the whole summer. Yeah. What do you? How do you work that area on a day to day basis? Are you knocking every door? And and I want to disclaimer this. A lot of really good sales reps uh, work areas differently. So just because Adam works it one way doesn't mean you have to work it this way. I just want to know for my own interest, are you knocking every door or are there certain things you look for? Yeah, and I've done it always all different ways too. When I was down in Texas one year, it didn't lend itself to prospecting in a car. So I was just going door to door, still sold the same amount of accounts. So just to echo what you said, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And I think the principle is to find what works best for you. For me personally, I like to prospect in my car, especially early in the day when there's not a lot of people home. I can zip through 10 streets and find that one house where whatever, they have a home business or it's the one retired couple in the neighborhood. Whatever it is, they're home. And I can kind of look for the things that, in my opinion, make me more confident and likely to get a sale. Maybe they have an old alarm sign that I know from work in this area they're not satisfied with because their 10 neighbors I talked to that got the same system at the same time were having a very specific issue. Or maybe they got glass on the roof. They, they got solar panels, and I know it's from a company that does door-to-door. So I'm like, hey, this person just bought a pretty big product from a door-to-door person. That means they're a buyer. So I'm able to qualify and look for the things that after years of selling, I know that I, I like. That, that just comes from putting the time, knowing how to work your area better. But the overall principle is that you make it last. Yes, stay in your area. It's such a rookie move to go out, get your butt kicked a little bit, and just fall prey to the grass is greener mentality. Gigs, I call it grass is greener syndrome where you're like, any area will be better than the one I'm currently in. But it, it's not true. Build momentum in your area. I actually like knocking behind people that do that, that leave areas too early. All, all day long. So still talking about your personal area management. When someone's not home, how many times will you hit that door? If I can tell from the street that they're not home? Or you knock, or you actually knock it and they don't answer the door. You knock it twice and then give up on that house or oh no what's your strategy no if i think there's a possibility that whoever lives in that house will buy i'll just keep knocking them till i have fully vetted them and concluded there's no point in going back it would be a total waste of my time to go back to that house gotcha and i'll, I'll frequently go back to people that have even told me no if something has changed that might lead me to believe that they would say yes really yeah Talk to me about that. How do you approach someone that's already said no to you? So, for example, let's say I knock a door and they shut me down, but I wind up selling their neighbor right across the street. I'll go back and knock them. Hey, didn't I already tell you no? 
yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just want to let you know what we're doing across the street. Do you know Jim and Sally? Okay, cool. You, you probably saw the sign out. We wound up installing the doorbell camera, yada, yada, yada. I, I've had so many situations where they told me no because they had just gotten home from work and they had a long day and they were frustrated and didn't want to talk to me. But they're actually super interested in my product or service. And when they saw that their neighbor got it, it teed them up so that the next time I came back, they were willing to talk to me. Timings, timings half the battle. This oh, time. yeah. So by going back, you give yourself a chance to catch them at a better time. Yeah, 100%. And if they're jerks again, you check them off the list. Sure. Move on. Cool. Yeah, qual- qualifying is my favorite part of the entire sales cycle. Being, the art of being able to pick out who's very likely to be a customer and who's not. I know a lot of sales reps that absolutely kill it. They sell so much, and you know what, Kurt? They're not even that great as sales reps. Their presentations are lackluster. Their closing ability is mediocre. But they are so good at just finding buyers that the fact that they're not amazing sales reps doesn't matter. What what does that mean, qualifying? Well, for example, in my industry, you know, I'm looking for things, like I mentioned, do they already have an alarm? Do they believe in security? Because if they do, then... You know, part of my presentation is already done. Is this a home that's, you know, going to pass credit and has money? Do they know people that are already customers of our company that have had a good experience? If you're in the, the alarm industry, do they know someone or have they encountered a break in or home emergency in some way? Young families in my in my industry, I believe that young families derive the most value from our product. So if I can see toys in the yard or the stickers on the minivan that show, you know, all the kids or whatever, that's a gold mine for me. I can go to that door already knowing the direction that I'm going to take in the sale and already knowing what's likely to be valuable to them. So there are certain things you can qualify before you actually knock on their door. hundred percent. You can look for signs of a young family if that's a buyer. Now, now we're talking about your product, which is smart homes and alarms. Um, if someone was in a different industry, they should know, right? They should know what what the ideal customer um, looks like. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, and then look for those same signs. Yeah, if you're in solar and they have a Volt or a Prius, like you can be pretty sure it's someone that's at least has somewhat of a mind for energy consciousness. Yeah. You just look for those things. And so as much as you can qualify before knocking the door, that's going to save you time. Yeah, if if you can spend all your time with super qualified prospects, in other words, you're spending all your time with people that are really interested in what you're selling and want to buy, selling is a lot of fun. Are you confident enough in your ability to qualify based off things like that that you'll check doors off your list without even knocking it? As far as not to go back to them? Or or you're saying to go back to them? Like, will you check them off? Yeah, like, like let's say you're driving around. Are there certain telltale signs that you'll go, I'm not even going to ever knock this door? No, you know, unless the house was trash or something and it was clear that, you know, they, they weren't going to have the money or weren't going to qualify for it. But I'm, I'm not checking homes off without personally vetting them. But there are homes that I'm definitely like, I'm going to keep going back to that house until I catch them. There's houses that, that deserve more effort. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. And it's different. You know, in some industries, that might not be the case. Every home may be a blank slate, and it's just the same. And again, down in Texas, it was kind of that way. I'd find myself in neighborhoods where nobody had an alarm, nobody had solar, every house looked exactly the same. And so I just went door to door and still dominated and succeeded. Awesome. Awesome. What? So we, you talked a lot about qualifying signs um, before talking to them. What do you... What's going through your mind when you're qualifying them in the conversation? So with qualifying, I'm trying to determine how likely they are to buy. And I'm also trying to determine the direction of the sale. I want to make sure that everything I talk about in relation to my product and service is a home run in terms of the value that it provides to them. And one thing I notice a lot, because I shadow lots of door-to-door sales reps, and one mistake I see all of the time is that reps start writing prescriptions before they diagnose the customer. They make assumptions about what parts of their service will be valuable to the person they're talking to, 
and they're just running their mouth and the prospect either A, isn't even listening or they're nodding their head, but they're thinking, yeah, this doesn't really apply to me. And then they ask for a card and then the sales rep leaves confused why he didn't get the sale. So it's, it's just imperative that you ask so many questions and that you get to know the prospect inside and out before you dare try and sell them anything. That's great advice. I think you're right. I don't, I don't think you're right. I know you're right. Uh, I, I'm guilty of overlooking that, though. You get in a routine, right? The muscle yeah. memory. You Show say, up and throw up. Yep, this is what I do next, as yeah. opposed to qualifying them. You mentioned earlier that your day as an office, the official day, your starts way earlier than that because you're putting in extra time. But the official office day, whatever, the minimum, starts about 11 o'clock with correlation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys that are a part of this program who don't work for big companies that have the culture of great correlation meetings. So talk to us a minute about what correlation is and how you make it effective. Yeah, in, in my opinion, a daily sales meeting is key to rep success. And the goal of that meeting is that when it's over, everybody is just stoked out of their mind to go knock doors. And not only excited to go knock doors, but they now have a new arrow in their quiver that's giving them the confidence that they will be able to be more successful today than they were previously. So if, if you're running correlations you're, or you're in any sort of training capacity, those are the two things. You need to affect not only the mind but the hearts of your people to make sure that they're stoked when they leave that meeting. And you have to give them some nugget, some piece of wisdom, some technique, some training that they're excited to go apply on the doors. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you guys do them daily. Now, are correlations the same all summer long, or what, what's, what's May like versus August? They're the same format. So here, here's the test of a good correlation. Ask yourself, what would happen if me as the manager just didn't show up to correlation one day? Would everyone be sitting around confused and then just leave after 15 minutes? Or would anyone barely notice that you weren't even there? If it's the latter, then you're running a good meeting. And the way that that happens is you get everybody involved. You break down all these little roles and you assign them out. So you, sh- you need to have a, a guy or gal in the office that when the hour strikes, they're up in front doing a slow clap getting everyone excited to get the meeting started and then putting up numbers. And then they know that they immediately transfer it to the housekeeping rep or the motivation rep or the training rep or, you know, the, uh, the competition rep, whatever it is, it needs to be this flow. And we actually write up that flow, you know, on a whiteboard at the back of the office so that it's just dialed. It's almost like a, a dance or a performance or something that's like choreographed where if you didn't show up, it would still run the way that it's supposed to. That, that's what an effective correlation is. That's amazing. So in my industry, it's a little different. Everybody lives all over the place as yeah. opposed to a summer sales model where you all live in the same um, arena. Uh, do you have any tips? Like, so solar guys, it's different. They're, yeah. they're spread out more. Mm-hmm. It's year-round. Do you have any tips to, to apply those same principles but in a different format where you can't necessarily all be physically together every single day. Yeah, and and um, in year-round models, a lot of times you're not even working every day, right? Because it's year-round. Mm-hmm. So I would say, again, it comes down to whenever you go out and work, you need to be stoked and energized to go work. And you need to have some new thing that you're excited to go try. And so in our model the most effective way to do that is to hold a one hour daily correlation. But in other industries, it might be something different, even something as simple as like a group thread, like a group me or a text thread, something where anytime there's success within the team, boom, it can be posted. Every time a rep gets a sale, there should be a selfie with their customer, thumbs up, everybody's stoked or anytime a rep on that team gains some piece of new knowledge, they're reading a book and they're like, Holy cow, that's awesome. Highlight, picture, post, you know, whatever it is, you, you just, everyone needs to be stoked to go knocked and they need to have new knowledge to go try every single time they go knock. And you create this type of culture on your teams. Yeah. 
Uh, you what, have to talk to me more about culture. What else do you do to to make a winning environment? So uh, I define culture as the personality of the team, which usually is an extension of the personality of the leader, but it's also like the the conglomeration or the amalgamation of all the team members. So if you do not cr- intentionally create your culture, culture will develop on its own, but it'll be bad culture. It's like weeds in a, a field. And so you just need to decide what your core values are and what you want the core values of the team to be. It, it actually, what those values are, are less important than that they're intentionally created. So for example, is your team super intense and hardworking and you outgrind everybody? Or is your team like fun loving and you experience life and you know, everybody on your team understands that sales is just a means to travel and experience the world. Whatever it is, you create it intentionally. And then you market that brand. So anytime there's a story that happens within your organization or program that exemplifies that culture that you want, you pull that story out and you, you recirculate it over and over again. And that, that's how you build culture. But culture is so important because if you nail culture – a million other things get taken care of. You don't have to micromanage reps. You don't have to be putting out fires. The culture will take care of everything. On the thought of culture, talk to me about the role of leaders in their own personal cells with maintaining and developing the culture that you want. I, I don't know how to lead other than by example. So you can get up in front of your reps and say, hey, I want you guys to work more hours. That'll have one effect. The other way that you can do it is you can personally go work more hours. And again, just like I was saying with branding your culture and telling the stories, take a picture of yourself in Snapchat or Instagram stories and tag the the time on it. Because I promise if after two weeks straight of you posting on your team's group me or text thread of you out knocking a door at 11.30 p.m., people will automatically start knocking late. And the second they do, the second a rep goes and gets a sale at 10 p.m., boom. It's like, it's like hallelujah, the most amazing thing ever. Guys, check this out. Joe got a sale at 10.30 p.m., and you're just telling that story over and over again, and that, that's how you create the culture that you want. What's the latest you've ever cold knocked the door? One time I was in a competition. I was actually in the finals for, I think it was a, a Range Rover Evoke, so I beat everybody in the company except for one person. And I started knocking that day, like I was out at like 6.45 a.m., but I was cold knocking. I was like, I'm just going to knock till like the cops get called on me. And I knocked this house at 11.30 p.m., and they opened the door, and I gave my pitch, and they let me in. And, you know, they were up, like they were snacking and watching TV, whatever. And I'm like halfway through my presentation, and the, the husband looks at his watch, and he's like, wait, it's, it's midnight. Did you knock my door at 11.30 p.m.? What What is going on here? So you, I've knocked pretty late, but you would be surprised how many people are stoked to buy stuff late at night. Sometimes people don't even get home till late at night. So I hear a lot of reps with these preconceived notions like, oh, you can't knock late. You're bothering people. I mentioned this earlier. There's a sale every single day late at night. And there's some strategy to, to night knocking. If you go back to, uh, I was terrible at night knocking until I got into solar. Yeah. It, because it was year round, it forced me to figure it out because we're knocking yeah, in the winter. Yeah, it's dark right? early. Yep. But there's a chapter in your book, remind me which one it is for the listeners, where you, you talk about some strategy you did. It might have been that same competition where you, the day you sold 12 in a day. Where's that in the book? That's uh, under work ethic. Is it work ethic? So the work ethic chapter. You talk about it got late, it got dark. You were still working, but you were working differently. Yeah. So I was just cruising around looking for homes that were alive. So if it's 11 p.m. at night and people are hanging out on the front porch just chilling, I'll go walk up and talk to them. I'm not not waking them up. Or if all the lights are on and the TVs are on and people are walking around or there's a party, I actually, the way I got to 12 that night was – I cruised around and I actually found a house that was having a party. It was just a bunch of gals that got together and were kind of hanging out and having fun. And I wound up selling four of them and then one of them referred her mom. So I got five sales after like 10 p.m. And they, were, they weren't tripping. I mean, they thought it was 
at first a little weird, then a little cool that I was out working at 10 p.m. at night, but they were up. They didn't care. There's some personality, I think, that goes in to being able to do that. You know, you do it enough, you get comfortable with it. If you're comfortable, they're comfortable. And uh, you get good at qualifying them, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I've had customers say, oh, this is, thank you so much. Like, this is so convenient. And this is such amazing service that you guys are willing to come explain it to us at 930 at night and have a technician come over at 11 p.m. Honestly, these are our, this is our most convenient time. Like, thank you. This is amazing. And without even realizing it, Adam, you just gave him another piece of advice. You took something that most people see as a, oh, it's too late to do this. And you turn it into a selling point. You don't, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for our service. You don't have to wait to we have space because we're going to take care of it right now. Yeah. And on the subject of knocking late, I, I always have an excuse when I knock a door really late for why I'm there late. And a lot of times it's as easy as, why, why are you knocking my door so late? It's, it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm so sorry to bother you. I've actually come by a bunch during the day. I can never catch you guys. I didn't know what time to come by. And they know that they're gone during the day. So then it's totally diffused. It's like, yeah, he's, he's right. We're not home during the day. What is it you're doing? Why is it so important that you made a, a point to come back here at 10 p.m.? Or w- whatever it is. Hey, I, I'm sorry. I actually spoke with your, your wife earlier. You know, or, hey, I'm, I'm just wrapping up for the evening. Whatever it is, like, just find an excuse for being there late. Do you typically lead with that before they kind of beat them to the punch? Yeah. Hey, so sorry to bother you. I'm Adam with, you know, my company. This, this is why I'm here, you know, and recognize that it's late. Stand a little further back from the door. If they look through the window, like smile and wave, bring it up first. But reps, reps are always so surprised when they actually go knock late. How chill people are with it. it it's all, selling is all mental. So if you're, oh, people are going to be freaking out. I'm knocking so late. You're going to project that onto people. But if, you don't care. They don't care. There's something about the summer, too, that, that makes people happy, even if it's 10, 11 o'clock at night. You don't get yeah. that in the winter. I winter knock, and it's, they're not as excited to see you at that time. Yeah, it gets so dark during the winter that it's like, you have to remember, it's not late. It's just dark. I'll knock three hours after, three, four hours after dark in the winter. That's awesome. That's gold, man. Adam, the 30-second version of my story is that I got into this because I had no other job when I graduated college. I saw it just as a college job, and I hated it, and I got out. I came back into it because I needed to pay off some debts. I saw it as the quickest way to do that. I paid off those debts, and I got out again. I'm finally now in it professionally, and I kick myself sometimes because I'd probably be somewhere in the similar level to you in this industry if I had done it 10 years straight like yourself. I've done it 15 years, but it wasn't straight. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm not alone in that. Most guys do this out of a need or, or they at least start out cause they don't have other options, different things like that. Talk to me about the difference. Cause you've obviously made this a profession and a career. Talk to me about that for a minute. Yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that when I got started, I genuinely felt like I was 10 years behind in life. And so I felt like I needed to fast track myself. And so the way that I did that was just investing in myself. A lot of guys and gals that do this job, they don't treat it like a business. They view it like a job, and it's not. In fact, most of us, as far as the IRS is concerned, we are businesses. We're 1099, and businesses have expenses. If a business can spend a dollar to make $2, they will do that all day long. And so the way I saw it, I was like, hmm, well, I can spend a dollar or $10 or $100 or $1,000 on training content that will make me more effective at at my job. It will increase my human capital. That's another business term where it's like we are our biggest asset. If you can improve yourself, you will improve the rate at which you can generate money. And so I started attending seminars, and I started buying training content, and I still do that. For example, a few weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I, I need to get better at public speaking. I just, I want to become the best at public speaking. So I bought every book that Dale Carnegie wrote on public speaking. It turns out he has like six of them. I purchased like every public speaking book that was like top 10. Same with the audible content and then signed up for like local public speaking clubs. I probably spent, I probably dropped five, 600 bucks just on this idea that I need to become a better public speaker. But what I'm going to learn from that is going to make me tens of thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I I just think it's crazy when I see reps making good money 
uh, and they put that money into things that are not going to increase their capacity and make more money. Things like cars or even their homes or whatever, they, they invest in everything but themselves. And so that that's what I would say is why not fast track yourself? That, that's literally how I did it. Oh, I guarantee you. I, we're about to we're about to release your book and give it away for free, yeah. And charge seven bucks ish for shipping, which doesn't even co- cover the shipping and and printing costs. Like we're we're losing money on that. I guarantee you, though, even with all that value, someone's gonna be like, ah, it's seven bucks, it's not free, and they'll go buy a coffee for seven bucks or something. It's just such it blows a, my mind. It's just such a poverty mindset. Um, you you mentioned something that reminded me of this saying that I heard at a seminar I spent $3,000 to get to recently. And it was that, that wealthy people, let me back up. Poor people always worry about the cost and never worry about the value. And wealthy minded people always worry about the value and never worry about the cost. In other words, it doesn't matter if this we're, we're, we're including this in a product that we're selling for two or 300 bucks. Okay, which is nothing. If this if this gets you one more sale this summer than it would have but without it, you've more than paid for this product. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. One, if it gets you one extra sale over the course of a year, you've you've made your money back plus some. You've you've made it back, uh, and so the price is irrelevant. It's that it doesn't give you that value. And there's something about when you make that investment, you're more likely to also make the time. Oh yeah the 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 seminar that I got the most out of was Grant Cardone. This was back when he was small. He came to Salt Lake. And I don't even remember how much the the conference was. It was expensive though. And at the time it was a lot for me. But I got the most out of it because I had basically anchored myself to that experience financially where I'm like, I got to make sure I get the value out of this. And it was amazing. And I learned so much and it changed the trajectory of what I was doing. But that that's a really good point. The value for me, like public speaking, I've just sunk, you know, five, 600 bucks into becoming a better public speaker. You better believe I'm going to utilize that content and maximize that knowledge because I'm invested now. And how, how recently did you start doing this, investing in the public speaking specifically? I, I've been doing public speaking on and off for a while, but I just recently bought those books maybe a, a couple weeks ago. Cause what's crazy. You listeners don't know this, um, but Adam does. Cause he's the one that told me this just within the last two weeks, Adam's had multiple people all of a sudden reach out to him about a public speaking opportunity and different things that he, people he didn't even know. And it, it's funny, you, you made that investment and now like new opportunities are showing yeah. up. That's cool. The, the universe kind of takes note, huh? Yep. That's cool. Um, you, you agreed to make this product available as one of my door-to-door pro line of products. And, uh, this is actually the first product in that line of products. And so I thank you for that. Uh, the reason it's called door to door pro is because when I finally embraced sales as a profession, instead of a means to an end, that's when it became fun for me. That's when it became enjoyable. When it was just a college job, it, I hated it, but most people aren't going to come into sales. Like this is going to be my life. They, they come in for different reasons. They need to pay off debt quick. Like I did. They, they need a college job, whatever. Their friends are doing it. How did, and I doubt you planned on it being a profession for the rest of your life. What changed for you? When did you start realizing, you know what? This is me. This is my career. Honestly, way too late. So I made the mistake a lot of people in the sales industry make, which is I'm just going to do this one or two more years and then we'll go pursue a better opportunity. Something that pays the same but isn't such a grind or whatever it is. And so my wife and I told ourselves that every year for you know, seven years. And that made it so we were kind of one foot in, one foot out. We weren't maximizing the opportunity. But it was, it was in 2015, January 2015, when we really said, you know what? This is an, an amazing profession, why not make this our thing that we do for life and do this professionally? And the reason that conversation came about was because my team from the previous year, I, I lost. Nobody came back. So it's 2015. I've been in the industry seven, eight years. You, so you were basically starting over in 2015? Yeah. 
I didn't know that. Yep, I was just a rep January 2015. I did not have one recruit. So my wife's looking at it, and the, the model that I do for work is kind of intense. Like you travel for the summer. It's not incredibly conducive to a family of five. So my wife's like, what's the long-term plan here? Are, are you going to be 50 years old leaving for the summer to go knock doors? What's the plan? Like, what? Show me that we're on some sort of trajectory where you're, you're not going to be gone all summer and you, you, you're going to be regionally managing. Let's replace some of your personal knocking commission income with like growth and downline income. And that's when I was like, man, I got to take this. I got to go full bore 100% in this. And so that's what we did. And then that year, you know, I re-recruited a team. We did 1,400 accounts and then 2,500 accounts and 3,900 accounts then 5,000 accounts. And this, this job's amazing. Sales is so awesome. I'm more excited than I've ever been to do this job. I'm having more fun than I'm, I've ever had. I'm working harder, but it's more fun and I'm making more money. I'm, I'm having new experiences. And so I just, I love this industry. I love door to door. I love sales and I love what it's done for my family. That's an amazing story. I hope you guys, hope you guys re-listen to that because anyone who does this job for more than three years is going to have that same conversation with their spouse at some point, at some point, you know, how old can I still knock doors and be effective and things like that. And so at some point you make it a profession that said, there's many and probably most people won't make this a lifelong career. That's no reason not to invest the time and be professional while you're in it. Why not be the best you can while you're in it? Speak to those people that won't ever make it a career. I, I would say even if you know definitively you're not going to do this for a career, you're on a law track or a dentistry track or whatever, treat it like it's a long-term career. Go out. If you're going out for one summer – Go out as if it's your lifelong profession. All that's going to happen is you're going to produce more and be more successful. And you might find by doing that that you wind up with a career you love so much more than what you were originally planning on doing. I can't tell you how many reps I have that work for me, managers and leaders, that had a different idea in mind. And now they look back and they're like, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad I have this in my life instead. So I teach my teams that knocking on doors is a metaphor. It's you may not do it your whole life. It may not be a career. You may transition to other sales things that aren't knocking doors. You may even, even there's guys in our industry that have gotten totally out of the actual door knocking and they do it all digitally. They do it online, but it's the same. It's the same principles, the same concepts that make them successful. The reason knocking on doors is a metaphor is because there's no problem in life you can't overcome by knocking some door. Whatever obstacle gets put in front of you, knock and it shall be open. There's some door you can knock. For us, it's literally the next door is going to buy from us. One of these doors is going to buy from us and, and pay us, right? So it's literal for us. It's a metaphor in other cases. When you first told me about Six Figure Summer, you explained that it was literal in your case. You, had a, you have had 10 six-figure summers, multiple six-figure summers, but it's also a metaphor for success. Can you kind of tell us more what we get out of this book or what you hope we get out of this book? Yeah, listen, at my funeral, I I hope that my obituary isn't about knocking doors. Oh, he, he was an amazing door knocker. That's That's not my legacy. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is just maximize my human potential and create as much value for other people and for the world as I can. Door knocking happens to be the channel through which I do it. The reason I love this book is because it's principle-based. This isn't just how to be successful in door-to-door sales. These are the principles that all top performers in all industries use to maximize their performance potential and to create as much value as possible for their companies, their organizations, their people, their families, the world, themselves. So th- this applies anywhere, and that, that's the thing I love about it. it. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you learn these principles, you'll do it better and you'll be happier. Awesome, guys. So if you're listening to this, it means you're a part of this, this uh, mentoring program that Adam has provided for you. You've got the book already. Hopefully you have the audio book. This is how I recommend you get the most out of all this. I recommend 
you listen to the audiobook while you're driving and just pay attention to the stuff that resonates with you. Then the second go around, I recommend you read the book and you mark it up. You mark up the things like I've done that apply to you and you make notes either in the book or in a separate notebook of what you want to do with it. From there, you'll have the foundation to then dive into all this training that's online for you now and it's included as part of this program. Dive in and there's actual sales training that Adam gives you. There's a, a schedule he gives you that he recommends you keep. There's uh, role-playing lessons and, and ways to make role-playing more effective. There's a wealth of information there that's all good, but if you don't have the foundation around these five principles, then you're not going to get as much out of this. It's not going to be as valuable for you. So again, listen to the book, then read through it, and then constantly refer back to that as you go through this training, and you'll be on your way to having a six-figure summer. Would you agree? Absolutely. Anything else you want to add to that? No, it, it works. It, it, this is what worked for me. I've seen thousands of sales reps and people apply these principles, and I've seen it work for them. And I think it's important for you guys to understand, Adam and I don't work for the same company. We don't make money off of each other, okay? We work for totally different companies. We did work at the same company, and that's when I first got a copy of Six Figure Summer. It was about this big and about that thick. It was like 50 pages, yeah. but it was really like way smaller than what it was. That was When did you write that? That was, was like, yeah, like nine years ago, something like that. So over the last seven or nine years, give or take, Adam has added to that. It's now nearly 200 pages, and it's industry neutral. It's not even just about sales anymore. It's industry neutral, and and it's super valuable. And until now, you couldn't get it, even the old versions, unless you worked for Adam's same company. So now it, Adam's agreed to make it available to you for free if you'll just pay the shipping. Not only that, um, I had to twist his arm a little bit on this part, but we're we're going to pay you if you give this book away to your teams. So you don't need to go buy a bunch of copies for them. Just refer them to your web page. In the training, we'll show you more about that. But we're going to pay you to give this book away to more people because we want more people to use this. doesn't matter if they're in door-to-door sales. If they're in any commission-based job or entrepreneur-type job, then they need to do that. They need to go through this this book and this training. So give it away to as many people as you can. Um, this first run, I think we have one or two hundred, and then we'll have to order some more. But that's it for this mastermind. Thank you for letting us yeah, get inside you. your brain. Absolutely. Um, we're excited to release this to you guys. We're going to have a lot of content value packed into this this product. So take advantage of it while it's available.